0: Our church has been going through the Gospel of John uh, for the last several months. Sort of verse by verse, line by line, word by word, this biography of Jesus that was recorded by one of his disciples named John. And So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible, I just ask you to put your hand up and our ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. We don't want to center you out, but we just want to give you an opportunity to follow along. Things are going to make a lot more sense if you're able to follow along in the Gospel of John. You can turn to the table of contents or ask your neighbor beside you uh, to find the book of John in chapter 14. John chapter 14. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres, the famous sort of TV uh, celebrity, uh, once said this. She said, never follow anyone else's path. And that, that seems very the kind of thing that you would hear uh, on television or in our pop culture. You know, you do you you know just just be yourself don't let the expectations or or rules or regulations of society or other people dictate how you live you live your life however you want to live your life but then she goes on to say quite humorously she says unless you're in the woods and you're lost and you see a path then by all means follow that path you see what what Helen DeGeneres shares here as a joke actually reveals a real weakness in the way that our culture thinks about individuality. Because what she's saying here is, you "Never, never follow anyone else's path. Blaze your own trail." And then she then basically says, "Unless it's a matter of life and death." Unless it's something really, really important, then by all means follow someone else's path. You see, we live in a world today that just love to say, you do you. And listen, it's it's true in some senses, right? And food consumption, if you want to put mayonnaise on your tacos, you do you. Again, uh,. In in clothing choice, you know, you want to wear that hat, you know, skinny jeans, whatever, whatever. Just you do, you just you do you. But but then that carries over into like really important things in life, and it's really it's really carried over into the way our culture thinks about religion and thinks about spirituality. This sort of follow your own path. We'll all get to heaven. You know, you go this way, you believe in this, you believe in that. But what we've forgotten is that religion is a matter of life and death. There's a life after this life. And when we die here physically, that is not the end. There is something after all of this. And we need to be sure that we're going to get out of the woods. And so this idea of... Faith, religion, spirituality, this is not a topic where we can just say, well, we're all right in the end. No, no, that, that. this is something that we need to take a serious look at, and we're going to be looking at a statement that Jesus made where he described himself as the way. The title for today's message is The Way. The truth is, is that every human being on planet earth feels a little bit lost in the woods. We don't really know how we got here. We don't really know the way to get out. We don't really know what's the meaning or the purpose behind all of this. We're trying to make sense of relationships. We're we're trying to be successful in our careers or in academics, but we just we don't see we don't feel like we're making any progress. We don't feel like there's any sort of direction. We're all looking for someone to show us the way, and our world is telling us that we need to find our own way. But that's not really working. You look at how how much depression and anxiety is just dominating people and that we've never been more individualized than we are today. We've never had so much emphasis put on us finding our own way and making sure that we're being ourselves. And yet, as we are turned in upon ourselves, we find ourselves increasingly anxious because we all feel lost in the woods. We need someone to show us The way. The context of John 14, this is the night before Jesus gets crucified and he's having one final meal with his disciples. And his disciples at this point are feeling quite lost. The things that they had been trusting in seem to be crumbled. He had just told them that he was going and that they couldn't come with him. He had also told them that one of their close friends was going to to betray Jesus and and turn the whole thing upside down. And so the disciples are just sort of reeling. How is all of this going to make sense? Maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you feel like the things that you have trusted in in the past are, are no longer making sense. Well, listen to what Jesus says. John 14, he says, let not your hearts be In studying this passage, we're going to see three things that Jesus really says about himself and three things that we believe about Jesus. As as we're looking forward to seeing today Danielle and Amos and Desiree and Carl get baptized, as we're going to hear their testimony, it's only fitting that we would come to John 14 this morning and, and ask ourselves, what does it mean to actually believe in Jesus. When someone becomes a Christian, what do they believe about them? And so faith is a gift from God, and so we're going to ask God that he would help us to hear and see um, the words that are about to be spoken with, uh, with faith. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this room filled with people who have come to Uh, hear your word and to hear testimonies of life transformation God we pray that you would be present here in the name of Jesus by the power of your spirit Lord God I pray that you would help us to see with eyes of faith and to hear Lord and to receive what your word has to say to us I pray that you'd be with my mouth I pray that you'd help me to speak that which is true that which will build up the church, that that which will show the light to those who are in darkness. And so, God, we pray that you would do what only you can do through your living and active word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Three things that we believe about Jesus. So if you do believe in Jesus already, you are already familiar with these things. If you're interested in learning about Jesus, or if you're just here to support a family member or a friend who does believe in Jesus, these are three things that you need to know that Christians believe about Jesus. Here's the first one. He will return. That he will return. He began in verse one by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. And he says, believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples at this point were afraid. And Jesus is trying to have them replace their fear with faith. He tells them to believe. Now, believe is sort of a churchy, religious kind of a word. And it's kind of been hijacked. And a lot of people, when they think about believing, they think it means something else. Believing does not simply mean that you acknowledge something to be true. Or that you acknowledge when it says believe in me. It's it's not simply enough to say that you believe that Jesus exists. Sort of a, a clearer way to translate that word believe would be to trust in. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. All of you walked into this auditorium this morning believing that the chairs that you're sitting in right now were going to hold you. And now you're all sitting. Why? Because you didn't just simply believe or simply think that it was true that the chair would hold you. You actually sat down. You see, you trusted in the chair. That's what it means to believe. 98 times in the Gospel of John, the word believe is used. At the very end, John says, I wrote this book so that you would Believe that you would trust in Jesus. Not to simply acknowledge that he exists. Lots of people say that they believe in God, but do they trust in God? Lots of people say that they believe in Jesus, but do they trust in him? So Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. He will return. He says that he's going to his father's house. He's speaking metaphorically. He's talking about heaven. That he's he's going to his father's house. And he says this, in his father's house there are many rooms. In Jewish culture at the time, a family would build a house and they'd have a bunch of kids. When those kids would get older and get married, they wanted to keep the grandkids close. Grandparents, all in favor of keeping the grandkids close? Can I hear an amen? All right. So, so what they would do, I don't know if grandparents would be in favor of this, but they would build another house right beside their house. And then another kid would get married. And then great-grandkids would come. And then the, the house would just become this bigger house. So when it says there are many rooms, don't, don't think it's just sort of like you're cramped in a hotel with you know, two double beds. It's, it, the word there is actually an abode or a dwelling place. Jesus is going to use it later in John 15 when he says, abide in me. So picture more like a suite or like a, like your, like, like, like a house. And so in Hebrew culture, it was called an insula. You'd have this courtyard in the middle, sort of an original house, and then all of these houses being built around it. That's what Jesus is, is describing here. And he says that he's going to prepare a place. Now, Jesus is, I mean, he was the son of a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. But this isn't like Jesus, you know, with a tool belt on, you know, framing out the, the studs for the, for the new home and wiring the electrical and doing the drywall. That, that's the, when it says preparing a place, it's, it's not that he's gone there to go and build the, to build the thing. It's in the going that brings the preparation. You see, Jesus was going to the Father's house to prepare a place. When we think about religion and life and death, we've got to ask ourselves, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? Where am I going when I die? Jesus was saying that he was going to the Father's house. He was going to heaven. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do I deserve to go to heaven? If you stop the average person on the street, ask them that question, you would say, "You know, do you deserve to go to heaven? Most people would say, yes, I do. And then the follow-up question would be, well, how? How do you know you how do you know you deserve to go to heaven? They'd say, Well, because I'm a good person. Well, what about the bad people? Where, where do they go? Well, they get punished or they go to purgatory or they go to hell or but I, I'm a good person. And, and so many people are just so confident. They just say it without giving it a second thought. They know that they are a good person, but they also don't feel comfortable that some of the bad people in history who like committed a genocide or or uh, evil and these terrible atrocities they know that they're bad people the question i gotta ask you is like where is the dividing line if we know that there are bad people and you assume that you are a good person how many bad deeds away are you from becoming a bad person how do you know when you've crossed that line between good person or a bad person. You see, the way the Christian thinks about the world is only good people go to heaven. But here's the thing there's only ever been one good person. And we're learning about him right now. His name is Jesus. He's gone to heaven because he's a good person. But in going, he's preparing a place for bad people. And how did he go? He went. the cross. He went to this place of crucifixion, to a, a place of being judged and punished for our sins. He took the blame that all of us deserve. He took the punishment that all of us deserve on our behalf. And then he died. And then three days later he rose again. And then he ascended to heaven To prepare a place. He made it possible for bad people who place their trust in the only good person ever in Jesus Christ. He has gone to prepare a place. It's the going that is doing the preparing. Only Jesus is good enough to get to heaven. But he has prepared a way for all of us by believing in him. By trusting in him. And he says, I will come again. I'm at the end of verse 3. I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. December is coming next week. (laughs) So the, the Christmas season is upon us. And a Christmas means a lot of things for a lot of different people. But for people who believe in Jesus, Christmas is an important time. Christmas is a time that we set aside to Reflect on the reality that God came to us. And that the creator of the universe humbled himself and came as a tiny baby. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But we only hear part of the story when we say that he came. Because the whole reason why he came here with us was so that we could go there with him. The whole reason why he chose to humble himself was so that he could prepare a way for us to go to be with him. So we have a holiday to celebrate and commemorate that Christ has come with us. But we don't have a holiday to think about the mind-blowing reality that we will go to be with him. And that he will return. He came to live with us so that we could go live with him. And the only way that we can go with him when he returns is if we believe. Jesus came initially as a, as a servant. He came, he was born humbly in a stable. He fed, he healed, he taught, he suffered and died on the cross. But when he returns, he will bring those who believe in him to be with him. But he will come as a judge for all those who refuse to believe in him. So he will return. Are you ready for his Return? Are you trusting in him? Are you thinking that when he returns, you're just gonna give him a list of your good deeds and all the reasons why he should let you into that would be totally missing the point because you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. There's only ever been one good person, and he's gone to prepare a place and he will return. Look now with me at verse 4. Jesus says, You know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas there is one of Jesus' disciples. And Thomas was not picking up what Jesus was putting down. He wasn't, he wasn't mowing what Jesus was growing. He, he, it, it wasn't connecting. He had a question. Some of us grew up in religious environments where you, you would never dare ask a question. Of someone who was in spiritual authority. Some of us grew up in households. Where you would never dare question your your parents. Some of us work in an environment where you can't question your superiors. Listen, this this is just one of many examples where a follower of Jesus has a question. And feels complete freedom to ask it. This is the kind of leader that Jesus is. Most people who who will not allow questions are so insecure and so afraid that the question will make their whole worldview fall apart. Not so with Jesus. He knows he has the truth. And so he welcomed questions. And if you're here today... And you've been kind of researching the Christian faith, or maybe you're here today, you, you think it's a little crazy, but your friend believes in Jesus, or a family member believes in Jesus, and you have questions. We just want to make it clear that questions are okay. In fact, questions are welcomed and encouraged. Thomas had a question. Jesus is like, in verse 4, you know the way, and then Thomas is like, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's an honest question and maybe you're here today and you have an honest question about history or science or politics or ethics and morality. And those questions are stopping you from believing in Jesus. Well, don't let them stop you. Ask the question. Talk to the friend who invited you here. Talk to to myself in the cafe after the service. Talk to a a leader uh, at the front, anyone with a name tag on. Don't leave here today thinking that you can't ask a question. The question is, well, we, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. We don't know the way. And then Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way. This is the second thing we believe about Jesus. So first, we believe he will return. Secondly, we believe that he is the way. We believe that he is the way. In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the way. You know the way because you know me, and I am the way. The the Gospel of John, this biography of Jesus, is punctuated at different key moments with statements that Jesus makes about himself. I am this. And so there's seven of them throughout the Gospel of John. He said, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the only thing that can truly fill you and satisfy you. I am the light of the world. I know you're in the dark, but I can give you light. To show you the way. He said, I'm the gate. I'm the one who lets you into the presence of God. I'm the good shepherd. I will look after you and protect you. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the one who will give you life after this life. And then now he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the sixth out of seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself, And here's the amazing thing. Every time Jesus says something about himself, he's also saying something about us. You see, we'll never truly understand and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is bread until we acknowledge that we're hungry. Or that he's light until we acknowledge that we're in the dark. And so when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, here's what he's saying about us. First of all, that we are lost. That we are lost, but Jesus is the way we got to admit that we're all lost in the woods. We don't know how we got here. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how to make sense of how this life works. Jesus has come to be the way. He also says that he's the truth. And the truth is we've been lied to, but Jesus is the truth. We have been lied to. The Bible begins right after God creates this beautiful planet and the universe and creates the first two human beings. Then the serpent slithers into the Garden of Eden and starts speaking lies. And it's been going on and on and on, generation after generation, century after century. We are a people who are continually hearing lies. And we hear it, we hear it. All over, don't we? There's lies in our prevailing culture. There's lies that are coming at us from our politicians, from our entertainers, from our our professors. There are all of these lies. And here's the biggest lie. And this lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The biggest lie is that we can figure it out on our own. That we should follow our own path. And we live in this world where everyone has been told this lie that we can do it, that we're good enough, that there's a light inside of us, that, that we can be the master of our own destiny, that we can, with enough effort, with enough believing in ourselves, that we can somehow make our way out of the woods, and it's not working. And Jesus is the truth. He's come to tell us the truth about himself, and he's come to tell us the truth about us that we can't make it on our own. That we've been lied to and that he has come to tell us the truth. So we're lost, but Jesus is the way. We've been lied to, but Jesus is the truth. And then thirdly, that that we are lifeless, but Jesus is the life. Truth be told, if you were to speak honestly, whether you have experienced a whole lot of success in your life academically, relationally, financially, or whether your life has been characterized by disappointment after disappointment, the successful person and the person whose life has been plagued with hardship and disappointment, you have one thing in common. You both feel empty. The person that's been plagued with disappointment, you actually have an advantage because you're acutely aware of the emptiness. But the lie that you've been told is that I would no longer feel empty if I could have some of the success that my neighbor is having. But even those who have been the most successful know. Just pay attention to the celebrities, to the athletes in our world. There is such a profound sense of emptiness. Here's the reason why. Because we are spiritually dead. Jesus has come to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has come to unlock something inside of each one of us. The reason for which we were created. We were made by God. But because we have sinned, we've turned away by God. Why are we lost in the woods? Because we went running there on our own will. Away from the presence of God. It's our own sin, our own rebellion that got us there. And we're spiritually dead because we've cut ourselves off from He who is spiritual life. And Jesus has come to make a way. He has come to speak the truth and he has come to give us life, new life in him. To awaken that that dead spirit inside of us so that we could live for the reason for which we were created. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The second part of this verse is highly controversial because it's so exclusive. Look at what Jesus says No one comes to the Father except through me. So often Christians are charged with the idea that they're, they're too narrow, they're too uh, exclusive in our pluralistic uh, a culture this idea that you know everyone can find their own path everyone can make their own way Christians sort of stick out and say how can you say there's only one way well the reason why Christians say there's only one way is because Jesus said there was only one way he's kind of a big deal to us this is what this is what he said no one can come to the Father except through him you see Jesus he's like no other religious leader the other religious leaders Say things like, I will show you the way. Here is the way. But Jesus says, I am the way. Other religious leaders says, I will teach you the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religious leaders will say, I will show you the way to find life. Jesus says, I am the life. And he uses the definite article. He doesn't say that I'm a way, one of many ways. That I am a version of the truth or I am a form of life. He says the way, the truth, the life. And he says no one can come to the Father except through me. But we live in this world that says you know, follow your own path, do your own thing. You know, God's up there on the mountain, you want to go up the mountain this way, or you want to go up the mountain that way, or you want to go up, the, we'll all get there eventually. But Jesus says, no, I'm the only one who's been to the top of the mountain. I came from there. I am telling you, there is only one way up that mountain. But still that rubs us the wrong way. And So often we, we, we wonder, why can't there be more than one way? The question I would ask you to follow up the next time someone asks you this question or the next time you have this question in your mind yourself is just ask yourself this question. So you don't want there to be only one way. How many ways would you like there to be? Would, would two, two would be double. Would that satisfy you? 100% increase in the number of ways? Is, is two enough ways? Would that satisfy you? If there were two ways to heaven, you go this way or you go that way. Believe in Jesus or believe in some other thing. Maybe maybe two ways isn't enough. Maybe should it shouldn't be ten ways. A hundred ways. A, a million ways. You see, it, it's an empty question. It's a shell, but there's nothing inside of it. What's wrong with there only being one way? Can we not just be thankful that there is one way? Why do we need to be picky that there should be, that there should be more options? Well, let's just be glad that there's one. We're, we're lost in the woods. Pickers, beggars can't be choosers. You see, here's what lays behind it. Jameson, the guy that was leading the, the song up here, pointed this out to me. The issue is not that there needs to be, you know, two ways or ten ways or a hundred ways. It's the issue is that we don't want to change our lifestyle. We don't want to submit to Jesus' way. And so we hide behind this smokescreen of, well, oh, it's too narrow, it's too exclusive. I I I could I could never believe in a religion that says there's only one way. But there's really no there's no concrete number that would satisfy the person that says that. See well, the problem is, are you unwilling to submit? and actually follow the one way that Jesus has pointed you to, that Jesus is. Jesus says in verse seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father. He said, I'm the only way to get to my father. He says, if you know me, you have known my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Verse eight, another disciple, Again, there's great freedom to ask questions. There's great freedom to make requests. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus had just said, you, if you, you, you have seen him. So again, Philip's not understanding. And then Jesus says in verse 9, have, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father or the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This last truth about Jesus is the most important one for us to get at. It's this, that we believe that he is God. And we believe that he is God. The same reason why we believe there is only one way. Because Jesus said it. In verse 9. Have, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then he goes on to say, the Father is in me. I am in the Father. He's stating his equality with God. He's saying that he is God. This is an important theme that goes all throughout the Gospel of John. Back in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It begins in this sort of abstract metaphor. This, uh, what is the Word? Who is the Word? But it says the Word was God, and then it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Word who became flesh. So right from the very beginning, we're, we're told that Jesus is God, and this is why Jesus. This is why they wanted Jesus killed. In John five, John five, it says this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. John 10, I am the Father are one. That's what Jesus said. And then it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. There were multiple assassination attempts on Jesus' life. Always because he made himself equal with God. And that word Father is crucial. The way that he referred to God as his Father. Could not be construed in any other way than him making himself equal with God. And then he nails it here in John 14 where he says, I am the Father. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I took a a snapshot of my Bible in this section right here. Look at all the references to Father. There's Philip asking the question, Father, 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 eight times. He makes reference to the Father being in him, him in the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying that he is equal with God. And then in verse 11, he comes back to this theme of believing again. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Go back to verse 1. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. To believe in Jesus is the same as to believe in God because Jesus is God. And he says, listen, even if you don't believe my words, remember, believe my words in the context of my works. Go back to verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus didn't just perform miracles just because, to attract a crowd. No, he performed miracles to prove that he was God. Things like turning water into wine, walking on the water, feeding 5,000 people, opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead. He did all of these things to show who he truly was. Believe in his works. Even secular historians, writing at the time of Jesus, could not deny that he performed miracles. They had no interest. They weren't Christians. They weren't trying to spread the message of Christianity. They were simply trying to record secular history. And they made reference to the fact that Jesus performed miracles. So, what are you going to do with Jesus? He's not like the other religious leaders. You can't just lump him in with the other supposed ways up the mountain. Because he didn't talk like the other religious leaders. He, He didn't say, I'll show you the way. He said, I am the way. And he performed these crazy miracles. So he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the way. He backed it up. By doing all of these incredible things, what are you going to do with him? We're about to hear the testimonies of four people. Danielle and Amos and Desiree and Carl, you guys can go get ready for, uh, to share your testimony and to get baptized now. These are four individuals who have, who have looked at what the Bible says. And who have come to the conclusion, Jesus is God, and Jesus is the way, and that Jesus will return. And before we hear from them, I just want to challenge you that as you're listening to what they're about to share, and as you reflect on what Jesus has said here in John 14, what about you? Will you place your trust in Jesus Christ? Will you believe that he died on the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin? Will you believe that he has made that way to get you out of the woods so that you could be in the presence of his father, that you could have a dwelling place in his father's house? Let me pray for you right now before we get ready to hear from these loved ones. Our Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that there would be not a single person in this room that would leave here today without placing their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that every, everyone here, even those who already know Jesus and have been walking with Him and following Him for many years, I pray that every person here would be struck with the reality of our sin, things that we have said, things that we have done, things that we have thought, And that we would see and believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. And that we would commit to follow him. If not for the first time this morning, then to recommit to know him and love him and serve him and follow him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these individuals who are about to get baptized. I pray that you would be with them as they share their testimony. I pray that their words would challenge and bless and encourage, Lord, and even rebuke us. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending him. We thank you that he is the way and the truth and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.